phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and uh, welcome back to Federation Radio. It's me, your host, Floyd. I took another week off because I just needed a week to catch up on a few things. I'm a little more set up for doing this now and a little more organized. So today we're back with episode 17, the Galileo 7, which is a really, really classic episode that a lot of people remember. So it starts off simple premise you know they're on their way to deliver some medicine towards a colony that is apparently going through some kind of plague they don't really specify or they're on their way to rendezvous with a ship that's heading to the colony with the plague to give it the medicines that are on board one or the other i don't quite remember but it doesn't really matter because that's more secondary that's the reason we have on board this man named oh i didn't even actually write down his name but it's this this dude who calls himself the Grand Commissioner, or the High Commissioner, or Galactic Commissioner. They sort of, they called him Galactic Commissioner, I think, when they first introduced him, and then later on, he call, uh, I think Kirk calls him the High Commissioner. I don't know. I don't know if they're supposed to be different roles, or if they're just in the same department, or if that's just in the script. They wrote a few different things, and it doesn't really matter. More the point, that guy and that side story are more so acting as a... A reason to add the tension in this episode, because it's the side story. We are going there, and that's the very end of the episode, but like that's that's just giving us a time limit. So at the start, we you know, the commissioner is on the bridge when we meet him because he's annoyed at Kirk, who is currently, as far as he's aware, just wasting time. He is looking at a quasar, which is some kind of stellar phenomenon. And Kirk makes a point of saying, We reach the rendezvous in three days three days from here and it's five days till that ship arrives which gives me two days to explore this scientific event which i have standing orders to look at or to investigate then you know the high commission is annoyed at this but ultimately kirk is in charge his authority does not supersede kirk's unless he goes against orders and he is not so he makes it quite clear he thinks this whole thing is a waste of time and go and says we better make the rendezvous on time. He likes to leave a bit of space for caution. And he leaves. Which, so, you know, we get the idea this guy's going to be a problem for Kirk. Then they send in a shuttlecraft, which I noticed. I actually made a note of it. This is the first time I think we see the shuttle bay and an actual shuttle, like, taking off and leaving. We've had a shuttle before where I believe they, like, use it or we see it moving or we get a scene where they're in the shuttle. But I think this is the first time they actually gave us, like, the shuttle lifting off. They tried to do the little... For the 60s, pretty good effects, honestly. Like, I know out of universe like you might not know this if you're listening but like out of universe i know like in real life when they did this this is not like in the modern day you assume all ships are cgi but they're not the ships back in the 1960s when they did this stuff and this goes for star wars as well and the way the star destroyers move is much the same as the enterprise they were all actual models they put up a big like wall it's like a big cloth piece that's got all the stars on it and they use camera tricks and lighting tricks to move up and down on a model. Like a model that you could hold in your hand off the Enterprise and they show it moving around. That's actually how they do the ship sequences when the ships move. It is basically a toy ship or a model ship on a string or on a rope. Usually a string, some kind of fishing wire. Something that you can very easily not notice in the camera. Or do the lighting in a way where it doesn't reflect light so it's not actually noticeable. 
you know, or they hide it in post. I'm not actually sure how they did it, but like they would use the models and they move the model around. So the shuttle takeoff is similar. It's actually the model of a shuttle moving inside. I don't know how they filmed it. I'm guessing they got like a plastic tube or a metal or wood tube of some kind and made it out like that was the shuttle bay and lifted the model off and then again using camera tricks and sound effects to make it seem like it was really taking off and moving out of the ship. And then they sort of cut it together with the editing of it coming out the back of the other model. Because, you know, remember, these are both models. And I don't believe the shuttle model was small enough to fit inside the model of the Enterprise, because otherwise it would look stupid on screen. I, I believe it was probably similar in size to the Enterprise model. But again, camera tricks, editing tricks, they make it... They really give you the size perspective on screen. Which is brilliant by the way it's actually something it's an art form i think we've lost with cgi is these days we can cgi together all sorts of cool battle sequences and scientific stories and sci-fi stuff but it just doesn't have that same feel of realism and i think that's because it's not real it's not a it's not a real thing it's not a metal box it's you know it's artificial Whereas the models, they have a bit of size to them. They move and they move on the fishing line in a way where they sort of feel like they have weight, which makes you imagine like how they would sit in space, almost like they were in water, how they would adjust themselves. I don't know. I feel like in CGI, we're very good at it and we're getting better. Perhaps one day it won't be as noticeable, but like going back to this old sci-fi, seeing the actual model ships moving around is kind of nice. I'm not going to lie. And it's so, it's so funny because sci-fi is such a like, it's a nerd thing, let's, let's be real. Not many people are going out in their day playing football and coming home to watch Star Trek. It's very much, it tends to be the people who don't play sport. It's, it's that crowd. It's not just for them, but you know, they are the, the audience they expect to get. And it's also the people that are making it. Yeah, and you can tell. And I always get a lot of enjoyment from that. Like, I like this idea that somewhere out there in the 60s, well, these guys building these models, and I have friends like this that do like Warhammer 40k. Like I have friends that are very into like miniature modeling, wargaming, all that sort of stuff. And um, the idea that people like that, combined with nerds like me back in the 60s, work together to basically workshop these little models and put up the little sci-fi screen. I mean, the like I said before, the cloth screen and move it with camera tricks. Like That creativity of all of them and their skills coming together really created something amazing. Now, I don't know if this was the norm for everything back then. Like, I don't know if... Oh, I'm trying to think of another old old sci-fi what's Battlestar Galactica like I don't know if they use model ships I imagine that they probably did I feel like a lot of the old sci-fi did but I don't know who did it first but I know it's very iconic from at the very least Star Trek with the Enterprise and the shuttles you know and for a lot of people it's also Star Wars it's the you know the Dorito shaped Star Destroyers slowly moving and the way they did those scenes was the same with the fishing line trick and the camera angles I just I get a lot of enjoyment out of that but anyway Going back to this episode, so we get the first shuttle launch, it's the Galileo, and we've got a cool little crew on there, so we got, um, I didn't write down his name, there's a black guy, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's also, we've seen him before, and I believe he's around the ship, he's like a recurring actor role. I could be wrong, but I actually think he's a medical guy, like I believe we've seen him before in like a nurse role, although he could be a scientist, I admit I don't really know the role, but I feel like he's a face I know. He's been a background character before. Then there's Spock, 
and Scotty and McCoy. You know, which is kind of cool, because this is more what we'll see later on. Like, in a lot of Star Trek, there's always this idea of the captain doesn't go down on the away missions. That's for the first officer. And they tend to bring some of the senior staff with them while the captain stays on the ship. And we see that here. You know, it works even better here, because Spock is also the science officer as well as being the first officer. So it's a scientific expedition, so it makes perfect sense that he would be in charge. But even if he wasn't a scientist, he would still be there. Because that's kind of how it is. The captain doesn't go on the away missions the first officer does, quite often bringing either the chief engineer to assist them with anything they might need in the mission, like they have here where they've brought Scotty. Although Scotty hasn't officially been named chief engineer, I don't think at this point. He is shown to have a lot of authority, and he's definitely an engineer, and we've yet to see anyone give him orders in engineering other than Kirk and Spock, which I don't think they've said it out loud, but it seems like he is the chief engineer. Uh, and then there's a couple others. There's a yeoman girl that goes with them. Not yeoman Rayan, but another one. There is uh, two other guys. Uh, a Mr. Gitano and a Mr. Latimer. Now, both of those two are going to die on the planet. Poor Mr. Latimer cops a spear through the back. Oh, sorry. Be before I'm jumping ahead, I've jumped ahead to a planet. And you're all like, what planet? You just said there was a shuttle launch. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Shut up. I'm getting to it. So... The shuttle launches into the quasar and pretty quickly they start to have issues with their communication systems and it kind of seems like it's not quite an EMP but there's a lot of radiation and just wackiness, chaos traveling around through the airspace there, actual space there, that they lose communication with the ship pretty quickly. At first no one's too worried because they're like, whatever, the shuttle's just lost communication, it'll do some scans, it'll turn around, it'll fly back. But then they get a radio message sort of broken from Spock, and we get to see Spock giving it of the instruments are out. The shuttle is having all sorts of problems. It is going to go down. They very quickly scan out that there is an M-class world, which is technically breathable. No, but not ideal. And they head towards that. It's within. It's at the center of the quasar, so they have nowhere else to go. The Galileo can't get back to the starship, and their message, because of all the interference, they don't believe got through. Although Kirk did get a broken message, Uhura isn't sure exactly what it, what's happening, but she was able to get through systems down, comms damaged, landing, which you know gave the Enterprise enough to be like, okay, something's wrong and they're landing, but we don't know what's happened. Which gave them the idea to start scanning and they ended up finding them class world too. Now the shuttle survived its crash landing. Now at first it's it's not terrible, but it's also pretty bad because he's like, there's no way for them to find us. This is a big planet with all the radiation. They're not going to be able to scan to actually find us from a distance. And as Spock points out very clearly and logically at the start, he makes the same comment that Kirk made before to the commissioner. There is medicine on board. It needs to go. The latest they'll be able to stay in the system and search for us is two days. After that, they have to go because there is an entire colony suffering plague. And, you know, he's a logical man for the greater good. There's seven of us and we don't get a number, but there's an entire world somewhere suffering because of the lack of medicine. So... He knows damn well that Commissioner is going to take over Kirk or force Kirk to leave after two days. So he just quite bluntly says to the other six on the shuttle, we have two days to get out of here or the Enterprise will leave us here. Now quickly they discover the ship, next to no fuel left. Very quickly during the attempted repairs with Scotty, the fuel line, he sort of describes it as all the radiation and pressure on the landing, on the crash landing coming in. 
damaged it enough and then him trying to bypass and adding extra pressure to it to get the engine running again has basically fried it so they're out of fuel it's all leaked out he's like crap so they have to go explore the planet a little bit and this is where this is where i was jumping ahead to before we got latimer gitamo that black dude i mentioned before and I'm sure they said his name. I feel bad calling him the black dude, but it's, I don't remember his name. But uh, anyway, so Latimer just screams out all of a sudden. They think they hear a sound and then a spear. And when I say a spear, this thing's more like a ballista bolt. It was thrown as a spear from a very large ape-like... They describe it as ape-like 10 to 12 foot um, humanoids, sort of humanoids. But they're basically just giant apes, and they throw what look what uh, Spock pulls out the spear from Latimer and has a look at it, and says it looks like a spear from one of the native cultures on Earth, which means their technology here must be mid 1600s or so, or something like that. It gives a number anyway. But the idea they're using stone makeshift weapons, so they're in the very early tribal days of technology. But in saying that. They're also 10 to 12 feet tall, so the spears that they're using are so huge that it basically impaled and killed Latimer instead of just piercing him a little like maybe a smaller human spear would have. This thing is so huge that it basically took out his torso when the spike came through. So they might be tribal, but their weapons, just because of the pure scale of it, are dangerous. Now, you know... Everyone, you start to see a bit of tension between Spock and the other, well, five now, there were six, but Latimer dies, and then Spock sort of, everyone gets annoyed at him because he pulls the spear out from Latimer, makes his analysis out loud about the spear and the culture, and gets the description of the ape, and that's when uh, Mr. Gitano sort of goes off at Spock, like, there's a man lying there dead, and you just don't care, you're like a robot, you're just going off about this spear and this culture. Why don't you care about our dead comrade? He doesn't say comrade, he says our dead... We have a dead man here, why don't you care about our dead man? And he just, in a very Spock and Vulcan manner, turns around and says, there's nothing I can do for him, he's already dead. By understanding our enemy, I can lessen the chances that anyone else will die. You know, again, perfectly reasonable, perfectly logical, but I also understand why the other guy might be a bit annoyed. That's his friend. That is someone he has probably worked with for many years. He's just been speared in front of him and Spock's just pulled the spear out and started looking at it and commenting on it like he was at some kind of buffet just checking out a food. But, like I said, I, I understand Spock is not completely in the wrong. It is logical to understand your enemy and try and look after your people as best you can. It's the typical... We get a lot of this in the Vulcan-based stories where people will often discount Vulcans they'll often call them rude or arrogant or they just don't care they're like robots but that the more you hang out with the Vulcan people the more you learn that's not really true I think mean, we've sort of said this before but like it's kind of the opposite Vulcans feel emotions so deeply that they have to control them otherwise they would be even more irrational and dangerous than humans are but they very much do feel them, even within their controlled state. They do have emotions. There are many times where Spock shows that he truly does care for the crew and for Kirk and for McCoy. He just hides it, you know? And he, and in a funny way, as much as they come off as cold and harsh at the same time, like, the reason they're coming off cold and harsh is to protect you. Because that's how kind of people they actually are. 
they know that being like not being in control they could end up being a threat to you because Vulcans are very over the top and when they're not fully in control they really do kind of go monstrous I fully believe Spock the few instances we see of Vulcans going through issues like we'll see later with Ponfar and a few other things like Vulcans have some very serious biological holdbacks like as a species I can 100% see how actions like that irrational actions could have led to some pretty big and bloody wars in their past because in reality they're just humanity but ironically more emotional they just you know also wise enough to realize that and do something about it unlike humanity that just kind of laughs it off but anyway you know so there's this whole thing going on where it's he's cold he's a machine it's not true but that's the way it seems that's the way the others are taking it mccoy is more so laughing about it or trying to crack jokes to ease the tension a little because he knows spock he knows spock isn't really mean he doesn't hate them he's just he's being logical so he tries not to hold it against him and scotty sort of does the same because scotty you know he's also an officer he is used to being in command and having responsibilities he knows what it's like he's doing what he has to do but anyway so like this guy dies spock goes out and here's where it gets really interesting to me um spock because Gitano, what's his name? Gitano says to the others, they're tribal, which means based on their tribalistic way of looking at the world, if we go in and we bloody their nose and we hit them hard and kill a few of them really quickly and then back off, they'll learn not to mess with us. It's a very animalistic and tribal way of doing it. And you get this interesting, because this whole time there's been this contrast of, oh, Spock is an unfeeling robot, he doesn't have emotions then you get this it sort of turns around where everyone else even mccoy sort of says i think it sounds perfectly logical to go up you know to go after and kill a few because that is what they're talking about we're going to go and get revenge for this guy kill a few of them intimidate them so they don't come back it's not a terrible strategy they're probably right but you get this interesting sort of flipping of the story so far where spock ends up being the one that is now more caring and empathetic towards these natives than the humans and he's actually a little bit disgusted in the way the humans as he says your earthmen lack of care for life in the universe never ceases to amaze me which is you know it's funny because literally two minutes before they were accusing him of being a cold machine who doesn't care about their dead friend and yet here he is saying all life is sacred if you try and kill that life on the other side you'll be going against my orders i demand you stop and he doesn't let them he basically says you know all of them sort of agree majority well i think we should do this and spock says well fortunately i don't care about the majority i am in command here and you will do as i say and you will fire as i say and where i say not where you decide you know and he puts it down pretty quick and to their credit most of them sort of back down and they let spock do their thing although there is a few looks like they don't agree and this ends up being, while well-meant, kind of wrong. Because Spock goes off with Gitanamo and the other guy. And they go with their phases and they try and do an intimidation action. Where they're trying to just scare the creatures off. Because Spock thinks, logically, they see that we have weapons that are stronger than theirs. They'll back off. It's only logical. Which, of course, is just, just wrong. Anyone who's ever tried to fight an argument with someone who's really angry or upset has learned that's just wrong. 
some when people get highly strong and emotional you can't use logic on them they don't care that you're twice their size they're angry and they're running at you and they're going to hit you but spock being a vulcan doesn't really think like that he thinks much more linear um linearly i was gonna say but it's more binary was like this is the logical option so that's what everyone will do whereas everyone else goes well that makes sense that's logical but in very human fashion we go now i'm gonna do this instead so you know much like that he presumes just by intimidating and then telling the guys to basically stay there and not not kill them and just make sure that if the creatures come back looking you're still there and they realize you're a better weaponry they'll back off it is sound logic when he puts it out loud it's not where my mind would have gone first but i do agree that his logic makes sense the problem is they're aggressive tribals so they see that and eventually they challenge it they come back and they try and beat it anyway and they do they come back and mr gitano gets uh captured well it looks like he's captured he screams one of the big ape things goes over the top of him and then it goes back to the shuttle because at this point i should say spock gitano and the other guy were there spock and the other guy say they're going back to the shuttle to help out he tells gitano hold this position scare them off with shooting at the ruse and intimidating them if they try and come back yell out if you need help they hear a yell so they do come running back from the shuttle and well he's gone now they find him not long after he's on a rock not far away he's just like broken all out of shape he's destroyed he's you know i they don't do a whole lot of effects there's not much blood or anything on him but you get the feeling the way he's laying on the rock and the size of the creature like he's mangled i I feel like they've they've sort of ripped him apart probably broken his limbs and stuff so he's dead and now the other guy's looking at spock like that's two men that you've just gotten killed because spock made a comment earlier when they came up with a solution for the shuttle which was they're going to now use the phases or the phaser energy from the phasers they're going to slowly drain it into the shuttle to get just enough power to take off however scotty makes the sad point that they're going to have to be under a certain weight limit which they work out to be about three um humans three human in weight so three people aren't going to be able to go now this is before anyone dies so at this point latimer and all that are still there but everyone's still thinking about that. He was very cold with the whole, oh, three people are not going to ha- be able to leave with us. So now he's out here. Two of them have died. And McCoy even makes a comment. He's like, I just don't know. One moment he doesn't care about someone being dead. The next minute he's out here risking his life to save Gitama, Mr. Gitama. And then he'll probably order him to stay on the planet and die when we take off anyway. Which he's kind of funny because he's right it's like that the whole thing makes no sense also i noticed they kind of dropped that a little later because two of them died so they obviously didn't bring those corpses they ended up um, burying one of them there was a big argument in the shuttle but it's not important they ended up convincing spock to allow them to bury the body so they bury those two but then spock jumps in the shuttle when they get attacked by the creatures and the shuttle takes off no one brings up the fact that there's five on board when they were told earlier that only four could fit but whatever we're not going to focus on that I, I think i read it as a bit of a like just desperation realistically if they're going to take off and be able to hold orbit they're not going to be able to do it with six people but the phases give them just enough energy to basically reach orbit and make one orbit of the planet and then they're going to burn up in the atmosphere they don't have enough fuel to do anything more than that 
So they take off, and at this point, I should say, the Enterprise did come to the planet and was looking for them. It sent down away teams and shuttle teams, but the planet's huge, and without the scanners, they just couldn't work out where they were. A few of their people actually get attacked by the ape-like creatures. We get two wounded and one dies. Now, they keep searching at that point, but it, you know it's getting more desperate. One of the injured commanders even says to Kirk, like, those creatures, they were everywhere down there. If the shuttle crew did make it to the surface, I, I don't see how they... And then Kirk cuts him off and says, I understand. But he's like, you know, even if they survive crashing, I'm, I'm not sure stumbling around getting killed by these things is going to help because I'm pretty certain they're all corpses there. Like, these things have killed them. You know, now those things do try and attack the shuttle once or twice. The intimidation thing scares them for a bit. At one point, they use electroshock thing on the outside of the hull to like scare the creature away and it's hitting the ship again with a rock when they take off because they were burying the bodies and they've like ran through the door and basically dived in the two guys did stop to save spock during the burying of the bodies the creature attacked and he got strapped under a rock or his foot they ended up he ordered them to run back to the shuttle and to leave him there to die they went and got him against orders which you know Good on them. Also shows they don't hate Spock. They're just upset and high-strung because of the whole situation. Because when Spock was in danger, they still dropped everything to help him. But anyway, so the shuttle takes off. And then we get this sort of funny moment where, like, as they're leaving, they're flying around. And Spock's just sitting there, like, logical. None of this makes sense. It's like, I did the right thing. We had the better equipment. And he has this whole, like going on about how like I did everything right my first command I did everything logically I followed all procedures and yet two men ended up dead and the hostile creatures remained hostile even though I had given them logic reason to stop and McCoy sort of yells at him and says you know that's because you need to think about emotions not everyone is a Vulcan but you know he does sort of kindly say not bad for your first command you did your best you know, and then he turns around, he, and Scotty says, we only have 40 minutes left until we burn up in the atmosphere. And Spock's sort of sitting there, and he realizes that it's too late anyway, because at this point, the 48 hours are up, the ship has been ordered to leave, which, by the way, it has. However, Kirk, when he got the order from the commissioner to leave, he did call up his away teams, and he tells Mr. Sulu, go ahead at normal space time towards... I think it was Muckus 4 or whatever the colony was, Muckus 3 they were heading towards. But anyway, so, you know, real space-time, which I thought was interesting because that's later on they'll call that impulse speed using the impulse drive, which is the non-warp engines that they use. It's the same thing the shuttles and all that have, the impulse drive. And apparently at this point it wasn't called impulse, it was the normal space drive, which... We'll see. I am actually interested in when exactly that's going to switch over. I'm going to try and make a note of when they first actually call it an impulse drive, because I am interested when that comes up. But anyway, so like they're leaving. Spock flips the fuel jettison button, and there's this kind of funny moment where he flips it, and then there's almost like a two-second gap before there's a response, and then you kind of see Scotty like jumps into his seat like, What are you doing, Mr. Spock? <laughs> This is just this all of a sudden he's like we got 40 minutes to live he sees him flick a switch and then it kind of clicks and he's like wait a minute he just dropped our survival time down to six minutes instead of 40 we're about to die what the hell have you done and then mr spock sort of explains to them he's like we'll stay in orbit for about six minutes before we run out of fuel but i just essentially let off a flare and he's right the fuel it's like a big green stream in a straight line behind them that gets ignited 
and lights up like a flare, and it works because Kirk had ordered all sensors to continue scanning the planet at the aft of the ship the entire way as they slowly left the system. That way, you know, it was smart. He was following orders. He did not breach any orders from the commissioner. He headed towards the colony he was told to head towards and left the system. He just wasn't told by the commissioner at what speed he had to do it, so he did it at the absolute minimum, which turned out to be enough to save the five of them. And you can see there's kind of this moment, they didn't touch on it, which I feel like is something that probably did get touched on and then cut in the editing room somewhere. But there's this moment where Uhura says, whatever caused that flare, because they immediately turn around and rush back to it, and they get the transporter room to try and lock on and get whoever's in there out, if that is a shuttle. It burns up, and for a moment the sensor, the guy on the sensors says to Kirk, whatever it was, sir, it just burned up. And then you get a message to Ohura from the transporter room. Five humans, uh, five people, I think she says humanoids, have been saved in the transporter room. And there's this moment where Kirk sort of looks sort of half towards the screen. He's looking around and you get this feeling, or at least I did. I got this big feeling where like he, there was this, in in that moment, he was almost scared to ask, was Spock or McCoy amongst them? He doesn't want to show favoritism, but like Spock and McCoy are his best friends. He cares about them a lot. Like he loves all of his crew, but those are his personal best friends. And you can see there's this moment where he's staring at the camera and like two of them didn't make it. He doesn't know who they are and it could easily be his two best friends. It's not actually addressed. And you know, then there's a bit of a joking scene not long after where obviously they've all been talking about what happened. The Doctor and Uhura and Kirk are all kind of making fun of Spock for being illogical and taking acts of desperation, which are not very logical and calm. But you know, they're making good fun of it because obviously he saved their lives, but it is funny. You know, he is the calm, logical one. When logic failed, he did something desperate. He let off a flare, jettisoned their fuel. Absolute insanity, but it worked. And now he has to live his life knowing he survived because he took an illogical action. Although he refuses to admit it because he's stubborn. And they all sort of laugh. But I don't know. I I could be wrong. I just felt like there's a scene that got cut there. Or that they wanted to do. Of Kirk being like, who made it? Or who didn't make it, more importantly. Like, he really wanted to know. But anyway, like... Anyway, yeah, that's the episode. So the Galileo 7, which obviously the shuttle they were on was called the Galileo, and there were seven of them on the shuttle. So the Galileo 7. It's actually not the episode that I thought it was when I first read the title, but that will obviously come up later. And anyway, I am just looking at my notes to see if there's anything I didn't bring up. I mean, not completely... Oh, oh, yes, yes, there actually is one thing I really want to say. So, there was a moment when they were doing the burial. No, not the burial. When Spock went to get Mr. Katano's body and was carrying it over his shoulders back towards the shuttle. There's a moment where the big spears are, like, being thrown across the screen. Like, you don't get to see much of the animals, I guess, trying to conserve costs on costumes and stuff. There was probably just people out of costume throwing spears into the set. But um, the spears come across, and there's a moment. Now, I could be wrong, but I watched it a few times, and I'm pretty sure that I saw correctly. There's a moment where one of the spears hits one of the rocks. Now, keep in mind, in real life, these sets, these rocks, none of it's real. They're all, it's wooden frames with, like, different materials and foam and things that are painted around it to make it look like a rock setting, because it is a set. 
Now, at one point, the spear comes across. Now, I'll bet those spears are probably mostly foam so that no one gets injured, just painted to look like stone again. But someone threw it, and I think they threw it a little too hard because there's a moment where one of the spears goes just to the left of Spock's head, hits the top of one of the rocks, and it looks a hell of a lot to me like it actually tore the rock and foam. It looks like yellowy foam from under the paint actually spurts out like to the right across the camera. Now, they were lucky because it kind of looked good. So that's probably why they never edited it out because it actually does make it look like stone on stone, a bit of a spark happens. But if you actually look at it, it looks an awful lot like one of the extras throwing those spears through it too hard and actually damaged the set a little bit and they tried to play it off like it didn't happen. <laughs> which which made me laugh because I'm like, I don't know who does this stuff, but I like to imagine it's like the cameraman and some of the writers, people that just, they don't want to pay anything extra. So whoever's around and isn't currently on screen, pick up a spear and throw it roughly towards there so it goes across the camera. So there's just some guy in his t-shirt who's probably thrown it and like holding his hand over his mouth trying not to swear because they're still recording like, oh shit, I just damaged the set. Are they going to be able to finish the scene? Did I just delay us by a day? What have I done? Some very stressed out, probably young person who's not getting paid a lot there just tore the set. But anyway, thank you for listening. That is the end of episode 17 of the Galileo 7. Feel free to once again send an email to the show. It's in the description. I said it on the last episode, and it's, you know, feel free whenever you want. The I, I have answered a couple, by the way. People are emailing in some questions. So far, people have all said that they don't want to be on the show. So anybody that does want to ask me questions, you don't have to be read out on the podcast or anything. You can just send it to me. Just make sure you specify. Otherwise, I will eventually probably read out some emails. We'll see. But uh, next time, you'll be joining me for The Squire of Gothos. Or Gobathos, which I got a lot to say about that episode before I've even sat down and watched it because I remember it. But uh, we'll get into that in the next episode. See you all next time.